0: tech companies have proven themselves to be the standard bearer of the future, allowing all of us to imagine an innovative horizon where, thanks to the power of possibilities, anything from a technological standpoint is possible. And, according to Deloitte and the Wall Street Journal. The technology industry has done its best to withstand the headwinds of a pandemic uncertainty in order to thrive past adversity. It thrusts more tech companies into the future, forcing them to consider ways they can accelerate digital transformation, improve the effectiveness and productivity of their supply chains and offering service based offerings and increasing the way they look at a diverse talent pool. However, it's all not a bed of roses for the industry. Industry experts believe in the future the tech industry may have to guard against a potential economic slowdown by trimming costs, increasing efficiency, and growing revenues. At the same time, folks around the industry And companies alike will race to find a competitive balance and fight to remain sullivan and noteworthy. Katrina Purcell runs her own consulting firm where she works with early to mid-sized tech companies on efficient growth strategies and metrics. She has an extreme passion for using the rising tide to lift all boats in an effort to support and mentor businesses and people at every stage of their career. And she joined me this week to tell me more. I'm Kevin McShane. Let's have this conversation. I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to learn how you help small and medium-sized tech companies really embrace the growth process. Great to see you this morning, and happy Brooklyn uh, Tuesday Junior.
1: Thank you. Yes, happy sunny Brooklyn Tuesday.
0: Absolutely. Now, uh, Katrina, I'm wondering if we can start our conversation by you dive into exactly what is the effective business growth is in today's economic environment and climate. I'm fascinated to get your answer there.
1: Yes, I think, um, so I think of of the past couple of years, uh, people were prioritizing growth at all costs. Um, And I think that there's a metaphor there somewhere for personal growth as well, but, um, you know, companies were just throwing money to grow. Uh, and I think right now in, you know, somewhat tighter economic times, um, there's a bit more restrictions there. You need to show that you have the unit economics to grow efficiently uh, and effectively. And so essentially what that means is that you can grow, but you're growing smartly. So you're not growing your team. You're not throwing bodies at problems. You're you're trying to think about what processes are effective. Um, you're really thinking about what are the right clients to go after Um, what are the right uh, unit economics that you need in order to make sure that your business is sustainable because there's not free money flowing around. Uh, And so you need to make sure that the folks who are investing in your company are able to see a return on that investment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that you primarily focus on helping entrepreneurs and those in uh, the tech uh, space to empower growth through strategic leadership but innovation. So tell me how those two things are interconnected in the work that you do and in general as well.
1: Right. So I think the importance of strategic leadership. And so it's important that, that people are leaders, not just managers. Um, and so people want to feel inspired. They want to be excited to go to work every day. They want to know that what they're doing is impactful and that they are somehow contributing to the outcome of the company. And what that means is that the leaders have to be able to give a very strategic but sound plan to the employees that are under them. They need to be able to say, this is where we're going and this is why. Um, I think Gen Z and, and especially also millennials really want to understand why they're doing what they're doing. What is the impact that it's gonna have? And what are the outcomes? What are the desired, you know, things that they're trying to achieve so that they feel connected to the mission of the company? Uh, and then in terms of innovation, I, I feel like uh, we should live a life of innovation. Uh, if you're standing still, you're 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 going too slow. Uh, you know, especially living in New York City, right? Everything's always moving quickly. And so just because something is the old way, it's done doesn't always mean it's the best way. And I think it's very important to listen to all the voices at the table, uh, whether they're a, a leader or a manager, or they're someone who's who's brand new, they might have a really great opinion on how to do, do something in a different way, which could actually end up being much more effective.
0: It's funny you bring that up because, you know, Katrina, I don't know how much research you did on me, but I was born with what's called uh, spastic quadriplegic cerebral palsy. It uh, simply means that I don't have enough oxygen in my legs to walk normally, but one of my mottos of life, Katrina, is that I believe that that life happens because you, you make it happen, right, and that inclusion is the gateway to independence, and one promise that I made to myself, because, you know, Katrina, I found out at nine years old, that I wouldn't be able to walk for the rest of my life without assistance, but one promise that I made to myself is that I wouldn't let my physical restri- restrictions sort of limit my potential in life. And now I work with organizations to uh, help them sort of improve their inclusive culture for folks with disabilities. So tell me about the competitive advantage you think it brings to businesses, but. By- by infusing uh, folks with disabilities into the workforce and into society at large.
1: Right. So I, I, think it's such a great point, and and I did I really love learning about your journey because I do think it, it really speaks to the value in hearing and listening to different voices in in the workforce. And this comes back to something that I feel strongly about, which is flexibility. So providing flexibility for hours that, that folks need to be in the office or whether they even need to be in the office allows you to create a culture where folks who may not be the mainstream can provide their opinions, can provide input. And if you're building a product, especially if you're building a product for a consumer base, It's so important to understand all the different people who will be using that product. So not just, you know, someone who has all the advantages in life and and is able to maybe use any product, but people who, who might think differently and who might look at your product in a different way or need to use it in a slightly different way. And so it's very important when you're creating a culture to always presume competence. So when you're interviewing someone, always assume they can do the job. They're interviewing for the job. They can do it. And you should be looking for culture add, not culture fit. Because if you're always looking for the same type of people, you're going to end up with the same type of people. So you need to look for, for people who will complement your team, not be exactly the same as the rest of your team.
0: And get through the a variety of the special life. Is this? Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. And I'm, I'm also curious to ask you about uh, the pandemic shift in business and really motivating people to get back to work, you know? Uh, uh, we have a labor shortage now in both America, and I live in Canada, and there are uh, companies that are, are essentially begging people to come back to work. And you know, and, and they read a story last night on the news. I think the uh, state of Idaho, if I remember correctly, is changing uh, their the child labor laws to allow kids to work longer hours. So tell, tell me about the pandemic shift and really, how do you think we can motivate people to get back to work?
1: I think it comes back to something we talked about a bit earlier, which is people need to feel passionate about their careers. And I think, you know, generations ago, people got a job. They worked that job for their entire life. The company was loyal to them. They were loyal to the company and no one ever knew any different. And I think now the way that we approach work is that work is a means to living life. And so if you don't feel passionate about your work, if you don't feel inspired, if you don't have leaders you can look up to, um, if you don't feel that there's a path forward, then you're not going to want to go to work. You're not going to be motivated. And I, and I think, you know, leaders who have an older style or, or who maybe harken back to the generation where where people worked, you know, 30 years at the same career, want people of younger generations to conform to what they believe is is what a work culture should look like. But I really think by listening and by understanding that motivating and inspiring and you can motivate and inspire people in any role. It could be the most boring role, but if you have a leader that you want to follow who you find, you know, brings joy to work or or you can find the way that in meeting in your work then I think you'll want to go and you'll be excited about it. And, you know, there's there's studies that have shown, you know, taxi cab drivers in New York City. Some of them are the happiest people because they talk to the people who got in their cabs. They find out about life. They have the most interesting stories, you know. and, And I think really understanding what what younger generations are looking for in the workplace is just such a key factor in getting people to be excited and motivated to go back to work.
0: Yeah, you bring up uh, New York City cab drivers. I tell you, Katrina, it would be interesting to trade places
1: with them for a day, wouldn't it? It would be very interesting. I love to ask my Uber drivers, you know, what was the craziest thing that happened to you today or what's going on? And I mean, sometimes they have the most interesting and cool stories to tell you. Um, They don't always have the nicest passengers, but but sometimes it's good to be a bright spot in their day.
0: (laughs) Well, uh, a part about... Being from New York is your naturally born with sarcasm, right? So, uh, cab drivers have a fighting chance,
1: right? Exactly. Yes, there's plenty of sarcasm to go around.
0: That's exactly right. And, Katrina one of the things I was excited to talk to you about this morning was your uh, sort of enthusiasm for your life, work, and play and sort of finding a balance because I know uh, for you personally, You take your work seriously, but you also think that it's important to have sort of a balance. So tell me about the enthusiasm you have for work. It can happen. Life happens because you make it happen. Because I I think it's important to really, really take ownership and authority of the things you want in life. Would you agree with that?
1: I do agree with that. I I think. One of the common phrases that you always hear is that people are finding themselves. Um, I really don't like that phrase because it implies that you're looking for something that already exists. So I like to approach it that you're creating yourself because at, when you're creating something, you can create anything. You don't necessarily have to conform to an ideal that exists in the world or a checklist of things that people have said equal success. When you're creating your life, you can sit down and say, these are the things that make me happy. I don't care if they make anyone else happy. I don't care if this is the path that someone said I should go down. This is the path I've chosen, and I feel good about that. Uh, For me, work is one of my life's passions. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that I really enjoy doing is inspiring younger generations of women to enter the tech scene, to feel included, to feel excited. Um, You know, I do a ton of mentoring Uh, at the high school level and also college and and post-college, just to make sure that women can see other successful women and they can understand that you can, in a sense, have it all. You might not be able to have it all at once. Uh, You might have to make decisions along the way. But as long as you're making those decisions because they make you happy, that's the most important thing that you can do.
0: Yeah, and I tell you, they tell me that you have a sense of adventure in life. I know you've tackled... an Man to an executive MBA program, while also working a full-time job. So tell me about your your own sense of ambition and keeping a positive mindset in life and how important that is to you.
1: Yes, I think the one thing I would say is having a supportive partner is the key to doing all of those things. Uh, so my my partner always supports whatever crazy adventure I come up with. Um, you know, so doing the Ironman was obviously a physical challenge. It's also very much a mental challenge. It's a hundred and, and for me, it was 144 miles. Uh, the bike ride was 116 on the particular course that I did instead of the normal 112. But it, it, it's a mental challenge too, because you're constantly challenging the barriers. Every training run is longer than the last. Every training ride is longer than the last. And I think. It's a good metaphor just in general for life. I, I signed up for it when I was going through a bit of a hard time in my in my personal life and and I sort of felt directionless. I needed I needed something. Uh, and the Iron Man provided me structure. it provided me accountability. It provided me the opportunity to do something I had never done and and really didn't think I could do. I was always a skinny little kid. Um, and then the concept of of completing this physical event was such a huge boost in my self-esteem and, and just my overall confidence level. Uh the NBA, on the other hand, was much more mental. <laughs> um, you know, it was going and sitting in school every Saturday. So you work all week and then you'd spend all Saturday in school. Uh, it had been years since I had sat in classes. And so there was there was some physical element to sitting in class for nine hours every Saturday uh, after having worked all week, but I met such amazing people and, and Columbia's program is, is flexible. It's, it's you're able to become a cohort and, and you're able to really meet and create a network. And, and I found that to be a really valuable experience when I did it and I did it in my mid thirties. So I understood and I appreciated what I was getting rather than going through a full-time program, you know, and maybe in my early twenties when I didn't really have a ton of work experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I want to go back to something you did earlier about being, um, an example for younger women and the importance of women's empowerment, because, you know, I was excited to learn that you did that uh, portion of, of what you do in terms of mentoring young women. So tell me, what how, how do you think women's empowerment has changed over the years, and what do you think the new definition of that term is?
1: Yeah, it's such a great question. I actually am part of a new women's networking uh, collective, which is trying to sort of redefine what it actually means uh, to for women's empowerment. I think in the past there were only there's only room for one, right? You know, women felt like, okay, I can be the one at the table, and I think our generation is really requiring the thought to be, no, make the table bigger. There can be more women and women should be supporting other women. You know, we're not competing against one another to be the one voice in the room, but we're actually increasing the number of voices. And I think nowadays women's empowerment is about choice. So you can empower women to want to be stay-at-home moms. You can empower women to want to go into traditionally feminine careers like teaching, nursing. You can also empower women to want to be CEOs and want to be you know, tech moguls. It's it's not about forcing women into one path or another. It's a, it's about giving them the opportunity to choose and making them feel empowered that whatever they choose is supported and it's something that they will be able to be successful at without having to fight uh, each step of the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Katrina, I also wanted to talk to you about uh, the, the idea and concept of expectations. You know, uh, Katrina, there's a sign in my office and it's Something I look at every day, and it's says that the only ex- expectations you have to meet are your own because it's really hard to sort of meet someone else's expectations if you don't have them for yourself. And I know that overcoming adversity and being in some uh, compromising situations is something that you've experienced throughout your life, and I know that you've set your own standards. So, Talk to me about expectations and really setting the groundwork for establishing what that looks for you, because it looks different for everybody else,
1: doesn't it? It does. I think expectations are dangerous. Um, I agree. (laughs) They are dangerous. I think living your life by other people's expectations might mean that you're successful, but you're unhappy. Um, and I think it's so important to be able to feel strong enough in your own, your own well-being to say, these are my expectations. I'm meeting my expectations. So um, I grew up in Virginia uh, and down in Virginia, people get married in their 20s. Um, you know, they have kids, they have families. Um, and I, I moved to New York because I really didn't feel quite ready to do that stuff yet. I wanted to kind of explore the the possibilities. I wanted to travel. Um and I think in, in some cases, I look at my my high school friends and I see people with kids and and I feel, huh, you know, I, we don't have kids yet. And, you know, we have a fa- fantastic life here in Brooklyn. But those are my expectations. My expectation is to live this full life, to travel, to have my job, and then to think about having a family. If I was living based off the expectations of others, you know, I might feel a sense of loss that I haven't done that already. Um, And I think it's so important to sort of know exactly what makes you feel happy, because then you can redefine what success means to you and you can make sure that you're balancing success and happiness properly, that you're not going after someone else's expectations, achieving them and then being unhappy or feeling incomplete.
0: You know, Katrina, I went to school to become uh, a sports reporter originally, and I'm going to quote a famous uh, Canadian Hockey player Wayne Gretzky, you missed one hundred percent of the shots you don't take, right? So it's
1: exactly it's,
0: it's important to find your, your your what I call defining moment of difference, isn't it?
1: It is. It's so important. I really love I love that quote too because it just shows you have to put yourself out there. You have to try. If you're not trying, then you're not failing. And if you're not failing, you can never succeed. And so I think. You know, we have to fail at stuff. By failing at things, you you start to learn what feels good and what doesn't. Um, and so, we shouldn't be afraid of failure. We sh- we should embrace it and we should encourage it.
0: Absolutely. I'm curious to ask you about uh, how you define a leadership and what what that means to you.
1: Yeah. So, I think leadership is one of those tricky things that you know. There's so many different books and and so many people who have far more experience than I do, have, have very solid opinions. To me, a leader is someone that you feel inspired by, someone that you will go to the ends of the earth for. Um, I've had quite a few leaders you know, over the course of my career who I felt that way about, where you you're excited every day because you know they're going to challenge you. You know that they bring out the best in you. Um, that they're going to push you beyond the limits that you see for yourself. Um, the leader should always be pushing from the back. Um, You know, they should always be kind of really kind of pushing up their team. Uh, and I think the best leaders are the ones who are seeing opportunities and, and saying, hey, you should try for this opportunity, even if you don't feel ready or prepared, but the leader sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. And I think oftentimes... You know, folks get so wrapped up in their own careers or their own career paths that sometimes they forget that being a leader means caring about the people around you, and it, it means wanting to make sure that they're doing well, that they're meeting their career goals, that they, you know, have a fulfilled life, that they're happy. Um And I think it's the good leaders are the ones who actually care about the, those around them.
0: Yeah, and when we're talking about the concept of collaborative leadership. What do you think it means? To be a great collaborative leader. And what advantages do you think uh, collaboration can bring to a work environment as
1: well? Yeah, I mean, I think collaboration to me and a collaborative leader is someone who's open and willing to listen. So they're not letting their ego get in the way. Um, you know, they have a level of experience, perhaps that's more than their team. And they're bringing that level of experience to the table, but they're open to listening to other ideas. They're open to talking things out. And look, not every decision can be collaborative, but I think the ones that can be should be. And I think those are typically around, uh, you know, how to do something. So the leader can set that this is the goal, and then the team can collaboratively say this is how we want to reach the goal. Um, You know, there's not always one way to do something. And that's a point where you can allow your team to use their voices and say the best path to reaching the goal that you've set. So the leader can can set the goal, but they really shouldn't set the path. They should let the team set the path. They can set milestones. They can help direct the team um, to potentially avoid pitfalls. But I think in some cases you have to learn. Uh, And if the decision is, as they say, a two-way door, so one you can come back from, then you should allow the team to learn, allow them to make mistakes, allow them to fail fast and then move forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, Katrina, what are your thoughts also on the future of innovation and technology and how you think that will continue to progress moving forward? I
1: think, so, there's a curve that you can see and, and um, I don't know the best place to find it, but there's an innovation curve. The amount of innovation we've experienced over our lifetimes alone is amazing. When you look back at even just the amount of innovation our parents experienced in their the portion of their lives up until the age that we are now. And I think it's only going to hyper grow from here on. And I think really being able to embrace technology, so not fighting against it, but understanding how can the technology help right and so you know everyone's talking about generative ai these days it's not about taking jobs it's about how can it help you be more effective how can it help you be more efficient how can it help you write social media posts or how can it help you write your paper not plagiarize but help (laughs) Um, and i think it's even a good conversation partner um you know so if you're trying to work out an idea and you have no one to talk to generative ai can be that person to talk to but it's about how we embrace the technology and how we're able to use it for what I'd like to call good, um, as opposed to you know not wanting to embrace the technology, wanting to stick with old ways, and really not expanding our
0: horizons. Yeah, I, I, I'm gonna quickly go back to women again, because I'm fascinated
1: A great question. I have a somewhat unconventional response, but I think the biggest thing about propelling women into leadership is really about giving them choice and showing them pathways. So for me in particular, when I was in my early 30s, um, I wasn't really ready to have children yet. And one of my mentors said to me, have you thought about freezing your eggs? Uh, and I knew I wanted to be a mom. And I said, wait, freezing my eggs? No one talks about that. What do you mean? And she said, I regret every day that I didn't do it. And so I went and I froze my eggs. And then I had the opportunity to focus on my career because I did feel like I had this little insurance policy that when I was ready, I'd be able to use it. And a lot of women that I mentor who are in their late twenties have never even heard about it. It's becoming more popular, but I think by giving women optionality, by giving women benefits, so having egg freezing as a, as a benefit for companies, you know, a lot of companies like Google and other larger tech companies have started to provide it as a benefit. But showing them that yes, you might not be able to have everything at once, but you can have everything. It's just a matter of when you have it. In general, I think having women, more women leaders, will provide more empathetic workplaces. I think that you know this is a bit uh, women. Women tend to be more empathetic. They tend to be a little bit more open and less ego driven, uh, which I think is the way to allow more voices into the conversation. I think anything that we do within businesses that allows more voices and more dissenters, more people to say, hey, why do we do it this way? Let's question the status quo. Let's talk about how we can be more effective, I think is is progress. And I think that's a way to make environments where more people feel welcome, more people feel honored and heard. Uh, And it will allow technology to improve. It will allow business culture to improve. And I think it will also just allow happiness um, among employees to improve. Yeah.
0: And to that point, as as it relates to technology, how do you think uh, technology will help us do business more efficiently and smarter moving forward?
1: So I think one way is just, you know, here we are, we're having this conversation on zoom uh, and technology is just such an important part of connecting the world. And I think, You know, if you look back 15, 20 years ago, the thought of having a conversation for a podcast was somewhat unheard of, right? There were only a few people who were even thinking about that. Uh, And now that allows people across the globe to know who you are. It allows them to hear my ideas. It allows someone who is living somewhere without access to information or access to other jobs to know what kind of jobs exist, to know what kind of mentorship opportunities even exist. And so I think that it broadens people's perspective. And we have to embrace the way that technology can actually provide a leveler for folks who might be growing up somewhere that's not New York City, where they don't have access to everything at their fingertips. And they might need you know, a podcast or they might need technology to allow them to understand what else is out there, to have dreams, to have you know, a way of saying, this is actually my goal. It might not be something I see in front of me, but it's something that I know is out there and I can get it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Katrina, in honor of this interview this morning, before I came down here, I listened to Summer in Brooklyn as a, as a <laughs> to our interview this morning. So tell me, how are you going to spend your summer in Brooklyn? What, what do you like to do in the summertime? Because summertime in New York is so much fun, isn't it?
1: Summertime in New York is the best. It makes winter, you know, every winter I say I'm moving. Every summer I say this is why I live here. Um, so we live right by Prospect Park in Brooklyn. And so we will spend our summer at Prospect Park doing barbecues and smorgasbord and watching our swan family that lives in the lake grow up. So every year the swans have babies and and every year we know how we're progressing through the summer by watching them grow. So It's kind of a activity that you would not think of in New York, but that's actually one of my favorite parts about living by Prospect Park.
0: Fascinating. And you you know, my final question for you this morning has to do with legacy. You know, what, you know, one of the things that I tell people when I I give speeches as a motivational speaker is that the tragedy of life isn't when it ends and it's refusing to live. Why you still have air to breathe? So tell me, as we end our con- conversation this morning, how do you want to maximize your legacy when you look at it from a personal and professional standpoint, and how do you want that to be defined?
1: Yeah, I think it's such a—it's something I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Actually, uh, you know, I think as we enter quote middle age, it's something that you start to think about a lot. Is sort of what is your legacy on the world? For me, I think that's why I do so much of my mentoring and so much of my volunteering, because I think each person that I touch takes a little bit of me into their daily life. And it's sort of like ripples when you throw a rock into a a pond. And there's little bits in everyone that I connect with and and everyone that I talk to take something away from the conversation. And, And so the way I like to think about it is that my legacy is then those little pieces of things that I leave with either a company I'm working with or someone who I've mentored where they approach things in a different way or they have a different perspective. Uh, And so the legacy will live on um, in the people that you touch and the people you talk to and the people who are impacted by the positive things that you do in life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So Trina, tell me finally, if people wanna uh, get connected with you, what's the best way they can do that?
1: Sure. So I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm also on uh, Instagram. I think LinkedIn is just, it's just me, Katrina Purcell. Uh, you'll be able to find me hopefully um, fairly easily. I don't think there's that, that many of us. Uh, and then on Instagram, I'm ironkiki26. Uh, and that's more personal. Um, and so its it's got all of my life adventures. Yeah.
0: Well, life is one grand adventure, isn't
1: it? Exactly.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, Katrina, I really want to thank you for engaging in conversation with me about technology business and everything in between. Your work in the space and time on my behalf this morning is most appreciated. And I want to thank you for being here.
1: Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I appreciate you taking time out of your Tuesday.